This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Basically. I'm your host, Stephanie Preisner, and with me in studio today is consultant spine surgeon and director of spine and orthopaedics for the Matter Private Network, Ashley Poynton. Are you Dr. Ashley Poynton or Professor Ashley, Mr.? I never really know. It's like the more qualified you get, the less uh, title you get. Yeah, Mr. is what I'm supposed to be, but so mo- just... most of my patients call me by my first name. Okay. I'm pretty informal. That's good. Is that a different style for every doctor? Or Yeah, some people like the title. I think you, yeah. you've got to try and connect with people and be normal. Okay, so talk to me about your training. You are a spinal surgeon. So at what point in your medical career or training were you like spines? That's what I want to do. And surgery, that's what I want to do. Yeah, surgery happened pretty early. Um I trained, I went to uh, Trinity for medicine, didn't like it okay. the first three years. Wasn't That's a sure. long time to stick with yeah, something it is. that yeah. you don't like. Then it was six year course. Okay. And What is I, it now? It's five, I, I understand it's five, it might be still okay. six, but I think it's six now, or five now for most colleges. But um, yeah, I didn't want to do it. Didn't sort of got there by default and wanted to be a vet. Okay. And just don't like humans. <laughs> well, realize. I wasn't sure. I mean, you know, when you're 17, making the yeah. choice, it's pretty difficult. So, got into medicine, didn't like the first three years. Then I found anatomy. I thought that was pretty good. That was in the first few years, but really didn't know. And are the I, first three years a lot of book learning, yeah, or when do you start to get of, into it? Yeah, you don't see a patient. Uh, in certainly the system I was in, didn't see a patient for the first three years. Okay. So you really. It's a lot of books. Querying yourself, is this the right choice? And then I got into clinical practice in the hospitals and mm-hmm. found surgery. I thought that was pretty cool. I, I understood it. It was what I liked. Mm-hmm. And then one day I went into an orthopedic theater. I saw somebody doing a knee replacement. And I said, I like that. I like the tools. I like the It's like the Lego hammer. Meccano. Like Meccano. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I was really keen on orthopedics. And that's kind of where when I decided... I want to do orthopedics. Um, so I did that. And then early on in my training, I knew I wanted to be a spine surgeon. And the reason I think it's just, it's a difficult specialty. It always struck me that people were nervous doing it. It was risky. There was sort of an edge in theater. It was, I thought it was exciting. The stakes were pretty high. And that really attracted me. So that's the journey I went on and then went to the New York for two years to finish my training in spine then came back 20 years ago to the matter and uh, that's it. So to become a spine surgeon, you either start off in orthopedics or you start off in neurosurgery. Okay. And modern spine surgery, doesn't really matter whether you're a neurosurgeon or an orthopedic surgeon, you just need to subspecialize in spine and get specific training. In spine. And we'll come to what that involves and how sort of technology has, a, has you know, the evolution of technology and its impact on the surgery. But um, going back to the orthopedic element, which we'll touch on briefly, is that like hip replacements, knee replacements, soccer injuries? Yeah, so orthopedics would be joint replacement, sports injuries. Um, there's a lot of trauma in orthopedics, so it's really orthopedics and trauma would be the okay. specialists of broken bones, uh, 
we st that's a big part of of what you do as an orthopedic surgeon um and then there's the subspecialties within that which is joint replacement foot and ankle hand and shoulder mm -hmm. and then spine so there's uh, probably a lot more people who will interact with an orthopedic surgeon than a spinal surgeon yes for yeah. sure yeah okay yeah so then talk to us about spinal surgery is it, we had a cardiologist on and he was t explaining to us that we had Professor Byrne on, he was talking about the difference between, um, you know, being a cardiologist doctor and also the fact that he has to kind of pivot into surgery sometimes, but you can also have a heart surgeon. Is that tension of like the stakes are really high here? Is it greater in a theatre that is operating on a spine than it would be on a heart? Because, you know, you'd imagine a heart is a vital organ. It is, yeah. So, uh, I, I've never sort of felt that tense in theatre. Um, some people are. It can be quite difficult, particularly when you're training and, and early on. Mm -hmm. But um, I think the more you do, the more you train and the more experience you have, even at, a, at an early stage in your career, the more comfortable you get with operating and the less nervous you get. And I think you don't, the last thing you need is a nervous surgeon. Yes, and yeah. You do see them. Really? Um, but yes, it, it, there is that element that, yeah. you know, I describe it as uh, skating on thin ice all the time. That Do you have like music playing? Do you have, uh, sometimes, do you keep yeah, your surgery yeah, a certain way? Yeah, yeah. I tend to do the same thing all the time. Okay. Certainly in certain procedures, you, you have a routine that you do. What's um, the longest procedure that you've done? Uh, probably about 12 hours. Uh, Straight be, through? Yeah, yeah. Now you might take a break in between. Now that's not that's not common. That would be very difficult, either a, yeah. a major spinal deformity correction or a, a really difficult resection of a tumour. Okay. Um, but most of them are under two hours. Um, what do you see the most? So when we spoke to the cardiologist, it was, you know, heart attack, how we can keep our hearts mm. healthy or whatever. What do you see the most and also what, as a spinal surgeon, would you never do that the population do because of what you see? Um, the most common things would be degenerative conditions of the spine. So wear and tear, neck pain, um, bone overgrowth causing pinched nerves, pinched spinal cord. Uh, same in the low back. Low back would be even more frequent. Mm -hmm. uh, back pain, wear and tear. Uh, disc protrusions, uh, bone spurs growing into the spinal canal. So that's very, very common. Yeah, um, um, a physiotherapist once told me that if you did an MRI of like the whole population, about 80% mm. of people would have discs in the wrong place or just because of our lifestyle. Yeah, and uh, there is a, an aging process to the spine. Okay. So the studies, it's, uh, there's good studies to show the percentage of the population that have degenerative change and bulging discs or whatever there is there as as one ages. So if you take, say, over 65, over 70, everyone has fairly significant issues that you'd see on an MRI, uh, but they may not have any symptoms at all. So it's, it's really important to understand that. And when you go to treat someone, you have to put what is expected on the MRI into context. So not everything needs to be treated, not everything you need to worry about. Yeah. Everyone gets fixated on bulging discs and uh, torn discs and bone spurs, but it's a normal, often very normal and it doesn't cause any problems. So, so uh, spinal surgery, I know from a friend of mine's having is like, it's no joke and the recovery is, you know, kind of intense because you're having 
well on some of them yeah yeah it it's not something to just like jump into no and, and I think you have to again sometimes you have to there's no there's no alternative mm-hmm. so if you have a spinal cord compression and somebody's losing power in their arm or their legs or there's whatever no you, there's no choice and you just take it as it comes but if you're suffering say with back pain or sciatica which is pain down your leg you've had it for a while you'd look at all the different options you don't necessarily need surgery and often a completely conservative approach will work quite mm-hmm. well. A lot of disc protrusions, for example, will get better on their own. So it's all about case selection. It's about timing. It's about talking to people uh, what they want because not everyone wants to be managed. Oh, well, will you take three months off work and do rehab or will you have a surgery and get quick, quick fix and go back to work? And, mm-hmm. and But most times we're fairly conservative with surgery because... Often it's not necessary, which is obviously you don't do it. Um, but all, in many cases, these things get better, particularly back pain, leg pain. Can be conservative, you manage. Just goes away. And but then, the more serious things don't and you have to treat them surgically. What are things that you don't do? Like how has your lifestyle changed based on the things that you see coming through your door? I'm wondering about things like motorcycles, trampolines like are there anything that you're like that's actually really dodgy but people don't know it and they don't know the injuries that it can cause I try to not think about these things so okay. I try to build that wall around myself and not, not, not do it but there are certain there are a few things that I wouldn't do yeah. uh, I I would love to have a motorbike I really would but I think I'd be divorced straight away if I got one okay um, and I think that you know yes every lots of people use them but they are dangerous and and it's often not the motorcyclists, it's people around them, the motorists around them that create the danger. Danger, yes, yeah. So instead of a motorbike, I got a jet ski, which is almost as good. And there's a more, less, less, less threats around less, it. Less chance of being killed, but yeah. maybe you'd be seriously injured. Um, the other thing which is really dangerous, which uh, is a big issue, are quad bikes and oh. they're seriously dangerous pieces of machinery and so a lot of people really think young kids have those. that's the problem. Okay. So uh, we see major, major injuries of quad bikes, particularly kids and teenagers who just don't know how to use them and, and uh, do too much and flip over and they break their spines, get paralyzed or get killed and that that is so I think you have to stay away from things like that um, now you can still use them safely everything mm-hmm. can be used safely um, a lot of uh, uh, farms will have a quad bike on them and they're perfectly uh, safe if they're used correctly but if you're a little bit wild on one you put yourself at serious risk beyond that I ski I water ski I, I got into a thing called heli skiing at one stage which was getting out of helicopters in the middle of nowhere on top of the mountains. Joking. Uh, <laughs> and that, yeah, so you, you don't think about it. And one thing that that does is you forget about work. You don't think about anything else apart from what's in front of you. And is you. that a tough thing to do? Like, do you, is it hard as a surgeon, as any kind of medical professional too, to leave the job behind? It is, you, yeah, 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 yeah. And some of it is uh, that we're, have to be available all the time, particularly in saying private practice, most private surgeons, or whether you have a mixed public private practice, you're on call all the time. Mm-hmm. You have to have your phone on. If you've operated on someone, even the previous week, you need to be either have some cover for you or you need to be available. So 
uh, it's not uncommon to get a call on a Saturday night saying that the surgery you did on the previous uh, Wednesday or Thursday is a problem. So you Would have they to still be, be in hospital now? Or maybe? Sometimes they will. The bigger yeah. ones, yes. So you, you, you need to be aware of what's still in the hospital. Okay. But sometimes they won't. You'll get a call on a Sunday afternoon saying somebody has gone home and they have a problem. So that's pretty intrusive. Um, it's also with modern technology, people can get you anywhere um, unless you turn your phone off, oh, yeah. which you can't unless you have somebody covering. For covering. You. But in terms of your, your mind, yeah, it's, it's hard enough to switch off. And that, I think some of the more physically onerous and maybe high adrenaline stuff you can't think of anything else. So yeah, it's, it's you have to really be right good. in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then in terms of the actual surgery, I know mm. there are various types, mm. but talk us through like a general spinal procedure, like how many people are in the room, who's doing what, when you put knife to skin, like do you do all that? Or now that you're at a certain level, are there sort of regs people training underneath mm. you that might start a surgery and then you'll finish it off or... Yeah, at the moment I do all my own surgery start to finish. I don't have anyone okay. do any part of them. Um, a very easy, simple operation is what we call a microdiscectomy, which is just taking a piece of disc out of the spinal canal underneath the nerve. So that um, would be me and the nurse, the scrub nurse uh, and an anaesthetist. And then there's usually two, one or two nurses circulating in, in the operating theatre. Mm -hmm. um, and that's very easy operation, takes anywhere from 20 minutes to 40 minutes or a little bit longer. Oh, wow. Uh, so it's, it's pretty easy. Um, another common operation would be doing a disc uh, uh, removal in the neck, for example. And uh, most neck surgery is done through the front of the neck. So we go through the, the throat. We'd, uh, it's a lot a of sensitive yeah, veins it, well, in there's, Yeah, there's a few bits and pieces in there. That you, but you'd be surprised. We'd sort of get those out of the, the way, way pretty, pretty fast, quickly. get down. The spine is actually quite close to the surface. And... Um, take the, the disc out, uh, free up the spinal cord or the nerves, whatever is compressed, and then replace the disc either with a, an artificial disc or a what's called a fusion, which is a little block and then a plate and screws. And, and that surgery, it sounds really complex. And when you say to somebody initially, they say, whoa, I, I don't think I want that. Um, but it's actually pretty, pretty simple. simple. And, and you, now there are risks with all of these things, but... I think for people listening, it's important to understand that if you need this type of uh, surgery, it's not that risky. In fact, it's pretty low risk. And most times you'd go home a day or two later. Like you'd be better. doing these frequently, like all the Yeah. Um, the group I'm in, we did 1,100 surgeries last year oh, wow. between three of us. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we do a lot well, of surgery, maybe 20 a week. Has technology or I guess scientific advancement change the outcome for people. So like when I was growing up, you know, on the sports field, like you'd, you'd hear about, oh, someone was in a rugby scrum and they broke their back and now they're paralyzed or they mm. broke their neck and now they're paralyzed. Is Are those outcomes changing in the same way that we see sort of like disease, like where you may have died of one disease, now we have treatments for it. Mm. 
has or is the outcome kind of the same when it comes to spines like they're very delicate? Well, I think spinal cord injuries, unfortunately, the outcome hasn't changed very much. Okay. Um, the care has changed a lot and, and supporting people and, and particularly in the early stages and also longer term care, reducing complications and the secondary effects of the spinal cord injury and managing those correctly. That and is a spinal changed. cord injury, like I know that the cord runs up the centre of the mm. spine. Is it just like the spine has been damaged so much that it's damaged kind of like its internal core? Yeah, so yeah. if the cord, which is like a big fibre optic cable, if that is severely damaged or severed, it's not going to get better gotcha. in many cases. Sometimes it does, but in, in what we call complete injuries where there's no function below the level of injury, they tend not to get better. The prognosis mm -hmm. is not good. And unfortunately, despite science and everything, there's no... There's no cure yet. There are there's lots of research going on, but it's it's slow. It's slow. Yeah. But in terms of the the like not spinal cord, then spinal injuries has technology advanced though. Yeah. So easier? the management of spinal trauma, management of spinal conditions is much different now. Um, we do. I think surgery is much more frequent. So the experience with surgery and doing it quickly in, in a lot of injuries, uh, doing it efficiently, uh, often less invasive surgery, but it's also that uh, philosophy of getting people out of bed very quickly, mobilize them. So in many cases, after spine surgery, you get up the same day, mm -hmm. you walk, you may go home the day after. Uh, some is now done as day case surgery. Um, so that's a lot different than say when I started training after a disc surgery, you might spend a week in bed after it now. Okay two, three, four hours after surgery, you're oh, up on the corridor um, and go home the next day. So that that has made a big difference. And is that, this is kind of a crass question, but is that like where capitalism meets medicine and it's like, we need the bed, we're going to like get more, or is it actually science shows us that if you mobilize and you get this joint lubricated, you're going to... Yeah, early mobilization is really important. And that that's not only in spine, it's the same with hips and knees, but it's the same yeah. with any surgery and, and any injury, the it's quicker science you get moving. We've learned more. So yeah, we we're not worried about, oh, you have to be quiet for... Now, there are limits to what you do. You can't sort of go to the gym day after yeah. surgery, but you can get up, you can walk, you can move. And it's really important to get people to know that before the surgery, not after it, so that they know, okay, I'm going to be getting out of bed four hours after surgery. I'm going to be walking. The physio might be with me. And then within 12 hours, I can get out and go to the bathroom uh, on my own. And, and that's really important that people realize that. Before we move on to some listener questions that came in, um, when you have a spinal surgery, do you, do you lie on your back after, like, can you lie on your back in the yeah, bed? Then? Yeah, yeah. So most people will, if it's on, on your back, most people will lie right on the wound. Oh, wow. And you can lie on your side, but it's, yeah, a lot of people think you can't, but yeah. I had surgery on my stomach once and I had to lie in my, like I wasn't allowed to lie in my stomach. For, yeah, no, we let people. That's about, that's cool. I'm going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Our sponsor is Rockwell Financial and they have a special offer for basically listeners. Rockwell Financial protect but also enhance the wealth of SME owners. If you own a small or medium enterprise or you are a sole trader in Ireland, Rockwell Wealth Management will protect and enhance your wealth and they have a free consultation for basically listeners. So call them up, tell them you're a basically listener and they will give you a one-to-one -one consultation for free. We all know neck and back pain can be so debilitating. The good news is the vast majority of spinal problems can be treated successfully by regaining movement, flexibility and strength. 
Whether you have an existing condition or a recent injury, Matter Private has centres of excellence for spinal care in Dublin, Cork and Limerick to provide you with comprehensive diagnosis, treatment, surgery and rehabilitation. With daily clinics in five locations, it means you can access the expert spine care that you need without having far to travel, no matter where you live. Making the right move is important. And when you have neck or back pain, you want to be treated by Ireland's leading spine experts. You want a team who can look after everything spinal, from the straightforward to the most complex conditions. For everything spinal, visit matterprivate.ie to find out more. Here at the podcast studios, we're opening our doors to everyone this culture night. Come see the place where your favourite headstuff shows are made. Get behind the scenes access, learn about production and record your very own five minute podcast. This is an opportunity not to be missed. Join us on Friday 22nd of September. Register on eventbrite.ie or see the Culture Night website for details. We look forward to seeing you there. Okay, so I have some questions from listeners and if you don't want to answer them then that's fair enough because sometimes you need a lot of more information than someone can put in like 30 words. Um, Okay so returning to high impact exercises like CrossFit after a herniated disc what Mm. are the chances of herniating again if I manage to heal from a herniated cervical disc? Yeah, that that's a, a question I get asked a lot. So uh, I think CrossFit is pretty aggressive, uh, but so is rugby uh, mm-hmm. and other contact sports and high, all high impact sports. So um, I think the an- the best answer to that is you gradually increase the intensity of your exercise. You make sure that you're strong, your core is strong, your the muscles around that area are strong, surgery are strong and fully rehabilitated. And then it's okay. Uh, it doesn't completely protect you. So if you take, say, a disc herniation. What is that? That's where it pops and it goes backwards into the spinal canal okay. and either hits a nerve or hits And does the it come back cord. itself through physiology? A lot, of them, a lot of them will shrink down on their own or with, okay. with rehab, but uh, sometimes after surgery as well. Uh, and quite often after surgery, uh, I'll get asked, well, can I go back and run or can I do, do a sport? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. Um, but it's always a balance. So if you're, say, a professional athlete, you're going to go back. That's that's your job. That's your career. Mm-hmm. If you're recreational athlete, you might modify what you do. But often it, it it depends on symptoms. It depends on what the pathology is. But in, in the short answer is you don't always have to give things up. Just go back slowly. Um, why is the condition on adhesive arachnoiditis? Arachnoiditis, yeah. Not acknowledged by clinicians. <laughs> When well, you knew what it was. <laughs> yeah, no, it is acknowledged. It's, uh, it is acknowledged by, by some. So what that is, is after spine surgery mm-hmm. in some, some people, and, and it can be even small surgery, um, the nerves, particularly in the low back area. So um, just a quick anatomy lesson. You've got the spinal cord sort of runs down to the bottom of the chest area. Yeah. And then it turns into nerves, all the nerves come off it. So they're like uh, cables coming down um, through the lumbar spine, which is your low back. And after certain types of surgery, 
they can get stuck to the in. So they're all covered by a sleeve, which we call the dura, which mm -hmm. keeps all the fluid in, and they all swim around, just float around in space, and they're all loose and free, and they don't. And so, because they need to move when you're walking and you're stretching, mm -hmm. the nerves actually move a bit. Now, adhesive arachnoiditis is when all of those get stuck to the inside of the dura, they get clumped and they go into the periphery and they can't move, they're all stuck down. And that can cause pain, it can cause what we call neuropathic pain, so people get burning in their legs or mm -hmm. their feet. Um, it can cause back pain as well. And it, it definitely does exist and, and we do see it. And you see it after surgery and you can pick it up on an MRI, you can see there's a, there's a characteristic appearance. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to treat, that's the problem. Okay. So. Um, and a lot of people will say, well, I can't help you. It's, there's nothing I can do. And it's not that it's, it doesn't exist. It's, it's just, just very difficult a, to treat. Um, if something goes wrong with your spine, are you better off being under public or private care? It depends what's wrong. Okay. So um, most of the spinal trauma and spinal cord injuries are done in the public system uh, and they would be looked after and, and the skill set uh, and... Um, teams to look after that, whether it's acute surgery, whether it's uh, the spinal injuries unit in the matter, particularly is the National Centre. And that is a really, really good centre. And they look after all the spinal cord injuries, traumatic injuries in the country and other injuries. And that is uh, the public sector and that's where the expertise is, uh, both from surgeon, surgical, but particularly nursing okay. uh, and all the allied health professionals uh, are working a big multidisciplinary team. Beyond that, then the National Rehabilitation Hospital in Dunleary is where all, all the spinal cord injury patients go. And that's a really important place for... That's public as well. It's public. Yeah. So... And then some of the really difficult uh, spinal deformities and, and pediatric uh, spinal conditions are treated in the public system because the, the multidisciplinary teams are there uh, and a lot of spinal cancer is treated in the public system. In the private system, there is a lot of complexity as well, but it's more elective planned surgery. Some emergency surgery we would do okay. as well. So. It's so it's a, it's mixed and, it and depends on what yeah, the depends issue is. on the issue. What are the pros and cons of cer cervical disc replacement? Thirty-seven-year-old hairdresser with a herniated disc. Yeah. So what that is, a cervical disc replacement is you take out the herniated disc. It's done through the front of your neck, yeah. and you free up the nerve and you put in a, a replacement, which is like a, a prosthesis that fake moves, disc. Yeah. fake disc, and it, and it actually moves. Now the idea of that is it. it preserve the motion so that it doesn't stiffen it. Because the alternative is a fusion that you take out the disc and you fuse the two bones together and you put a little plate onto or a block and the two bones grow together and they become stiff. Mm -hmm. Now, the idea when disc replacements came out was to preserve motion, their motion preserving technology. It sounds great, um, but some more, re and, and the idea is to preserve, preserve motion and protect the disc around it that they don't get stressed from yep. from stiffening the neck but the the studies would recent studies would suggest that that isn't always the case that you there's not a huge amount of difference in the long run between particularly a, a one level fusion and a disc replacement so the the long term outcome may not be, be that different. different sounds great 
But now I do disc replacements and I do fusions. Younger people, I would tend to do disc replacements, but some disc replacements would break down over time and need to be replaced with a fusion. So there's always strings attached to everything. Do you have any advice on how to protect your back in younger years to avoid or defer back issues in later life? Yeah, I think there's there's quite a few things you can do. Number one, your bone health is very important. So people don't realise that your maximum bone density is at 21 and then it's downhill from there. 21 years old. 21 years of age. Yeah. So, and that's really important that you try and make that peak as high as possible. And that means diet, good diet, no smoking, uh, impact exercise, so staying fit and healthy and eating well and making sure your calcium intake is important. Uh, so bone health is really important. So do you have an issue with all these oat milks coming in? No, I don't. <laughs> I don't. Okay, great. I'm not going to get into criticizing the dairy industry, but okay. I I do have big issues with the dairy industry. <laughs> okay, go on anyway. The other things you can do to protect um, your spine. No, and, and I think uh, there are many sources of calcium and a balanced diet is really important. So I think your bone health is really important. Your musculoskeletal health, particularly, or your muscular health is really important. So being fit, being, being reasonably things. strong, having your core strong is really important. So... Uh, particularly as you age. So your muscle strength, your muscle bulk is really important uh, as you go through your years. So the stronger you are earlier in life, the better. Flexibility is also important that you, so you're flexible, you're strong. And if you keep that up, so Pilates, yoga, general core exercise is really important. I had a DEXA scan, which yes. measured my bone density. Yes. Now, I had an eating disorder and I was anorexic and I was very overweight and I lost my period for three and a half years. Mm. And they said that I had osteopenia, which yeah. was the start of osteoporosis. Yeah. Um, but is that reversed? Now that I, I haven't had one since mm. I kind of am in recovery and have mm. uh, now got a balanced diet and all that kind of stuff. Does that come back up or is it like... Yeah, it can. So um, you can improve your bone density with diet, uh, with exercise, particularly impact exercise. So that that's important. Um you can improve it. There are drugs that will increase your bone density, but generally, particularly in younger people, you would you would certainly go diet, exercise, impact exercise, and that that often does reverse it. But uh, and this is really important, also, particularly women who are perimenopausal, that they understand that number one, get a DEXA scan uh, and make sure they know what their baseline bone density is, and then diet. And exercise. And when you say really diet, important. do you mean like, like calcium. high protein? Yeah, calcium. you should be. Most people should be on a calcium supplement with vitamin D. Uh, and certainly, any woman that is uh, in the perimenopausal period should be on calcium and vitamin D, regardless, regardless. of their bone density. Okay. Um, do you have any thoughts on cranial therapy or craniosacral therapy for babies and children? Um, I don't know a whole lot about it. Mm -hmm. um, I think it brings into the discussion, well, all the old sort of alternative treatments for musculoskeletal pain, and there are many out there. Um, and it's really difficult to say, well, what works, what doesn't work, what's worth paying for and what's not. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of techniques do work. Um, a lot of, say, musculoskeletal pain can be due to stress, anxiety, uh, and anything that helps that can help general musculoskeletal yep. pain. Um, but I think a good understanding of how your muscles work, your posture uh, is really important. Um, but 
there are many, many treatments out there that don't work that are, and I'm not saying anything about craniosacral therapy. No, but just there are know, lots of things just, on just offer. research it a bit. Um, what do lesions on a spinal cord mean? It depends. Lesion is a word that we use to sort of fudge it a little bit. So, (laughs) you know. Some kind of growth. Yeah. So, oh, you've got a lesion on your spinal cord. That could mean anything. It could mean a tumor, could mean a benign tumor, malignant tumor, could mean a spot that just shows up in an MRI. Uh, It could be uh, what we see fairly frequently is what's called a demyelination plaque. So that's an area of... um, high signal on in your cord on an MRI, which might signify multiple sclerosis. Okay, um, so it can range from absolutely nothing to something yeah, quite so serious. Yeah, so it's sort of more of the spot on your spinal cord. It could be anything. Yeah, I hope someone hasn't been given that diagnosis and no, no further um, information. Yeah, well, I mean, to, again, there's a lot of, sort of medical speak and, and you just need to be careful when often, particularly in a consultation, you'd be really careful what you what words you come out with and if you sort of, and be looking at your patient, not looking at the MRI, just if you see shock on their face, you say, well, hang on a minute. Yeah. This is the explanation of that. And, and um, have you any experience with post-epidural complications? Yes. Um, now, there's different types of epidurals. So most frequently you hear it post-epidural for say childbirth. Yeah. And that will be, what can happen is that the epidural punctures the dura, that's the sleeve over the nerves that we were speaking about earlier. Yeah. And then spinal fluid leaks out and, and people get a headache. Okay. Um, and Does that, it heal itself over time? Yeah, often it does. And then sometimes um, what they, they'll do is inject blood, take blood from the arm yeah. of the same patient and inject it in around the hole and it just seals it, seals it like it. a clot. Um, but sometimes uh, you do hear of uh, issues going on and on and on, becoming chronic. Now, often they're not necessarily related to the epidural. and, and But maybe and the labor more so. It's probably the labor and a lot of people say, oh, my back is destroyed by the epidural. But if but you give birth on your back, like it's not... Generally, like it's, it's something else and... I had two epidurals because the first one didn't work. And but it, yeah, but in, in many cases when you have a, a woman in labor and you're the anesthetist trying to get an epidural in and they're jumping around and you can't feel anything and it's you, you get, it can be quite a difficult thing. You get moving targets all the time. And um, so there can happen. be several attempts or it doesn't work because it's not in per- perfectly in the right place or the, the fluid, the anesthetic doesn't uh, percolate down in the correct place. So... Things happen. Um, I've been told by my GP that my disc is slipping out of my spine, but my physio says that's not possible, that discs can't slip in and out of spines. So I don't know what to do. Who should I trust? What's your opinion on the link? Um, It's something I hear a lot of. Oh, my my discs are slipping in and out. Discs don't slip in and out. So a disc will will bulge out. It can shrink down, but a disc isn't something that sort of goes in and out. In yeah, and I out. think that's what people have. It's, that's my image. The like. disc is actually quite a, a decent structure. There's quite a tough ligament around it. So when it bulges, is it that the ligament is inflamed or has yeah, it Yeah, well, usually what happens, the ligament at the back, uh, which is at between the disc and the spinal canal, so the, the outer sort of rim of the disc can either, you get a little split in it and a piece of disc comes out or it'll bulge. 
Now, that bulge can change. It doesn't slip in and out, but a bulge can get bigger, say, if you're sitting for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. Because often people say, well, listen, when I sit, my pain gets worse or my legs... But what's bulging there? It is the disc. And is the disc made of bone? No, the disc is made of sort of jelly cartilage. Okay, uh, yeah, so that yeah. stuff is moving kind of like yeah, the a, sea moves with the tide. It's a bit like a, a tire. So okay. if you press on a tire, it'll bulge, it'll bulge somewhere. Now, there's a, there's a natural bulge in a healthy disc when it's loaded, but okay. it's a bit worn. So like you're sitting on an exercise ball, it bulges. Exactly, it has to go somewhere. Okay, perfect. Yeah. But it, the, yeah, I think we have this idea of it like being a CD that's kind of slipped no, out. No, 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 no. But it does bulge. It can bulge in and out and, and depends on what you're doing. And um, Do you think that there is any uh, effect on the spine of us constantly being looking down at our phones? Yes. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought you were yeah, going to say so, no. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't started to see um, social media neck. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's uh, happening. Yeah, and there's also a few head injuries from people walking to lampposts. Ah, but people will be stupid. They sure they could do that anytime. So you think? Which I think. Do you think that like humans will actually evolve and uh, be fine, or we'll have injuries? Well, I think uh, you do. See, so if you constantly flex your neck down, day in day out for hours, mm-hmm. it has it has an effect. Uh, you're going to get degenerative change in your neck. So if you start that when you're in your teens and, you and continue whole... it on forever you're going to probably, and this is a probably, see accelerated degeneration in the neck as time goes by, which is great for us because it keeps us in business. (laughs) Well, as long as you're making money. (laughs) This is a very boring question, but what mattress is actually better for your spine and is there a best sleep position? Um, The answer is it it varies so much that... um, From person to person? Person to person. Okay. I think um, what I would suggest... You need a reasonably medium sort of mattress, firm mattress. Uh, often a little topper of memory foam is quite good, particularly if you have back pain. Mm-hmm. And what you're trying to do is keep your spine straight no matter what position you're in. So if you're on okay. your back or on your side, you're trying to keep your spine straight okay. or your neck in relation to the rest of your spine. If you're sleeping like that, it's not great. Or if your spine sags in the middle and your pelvis tilts in bed, and you've wear and tear in your back, you'll often start getting back when you wake up and have to turn over. So not too hard, not too soft, medium, maybe some memory foam, but it's often a personal thing. Some people will say, that was the best night's sleep I ever had. You're in some hotel somewhere, so that was a nice mattress, and you're lifting the sheets looking at what it is. Um, But it's also probably the fact that it's been slept on by thousands of people, so it's not. That's the thing, like you go and you lie down in the shop and you're like, this is a very comfy mattress, and then you buy it and it's way more firm because (laughs) everyone has slept on the other one. You want the second-hand one. So definitely you don't want a second-hand one. (laughs) Is doing weights, lifting weights, good for your back? It is, it is. Uh, And there's, uh, there's, there's a couple of schools of thought on that. So you've got the deadlifting school that like deadlifts and... There's the other school of thought that's saying, well, maybe that's not such a good idea. But we do know that if you toughen up the muscles at the back of your spine, particularly the base of your spine, it's pretty good for back pain. So I think if you're going to lift weights, you do it properly. Your technique is really important. So if you say, oh, I'll go in and start lifting weights, um, number one, it has to be a gradual increase uh, while you're conditioning. Mm -hmm. You just don't go in and lift 40 kilos and think you're going to get away with it. 
but it has to be supervised initially. So, for example, a deadlift is a common exercise that's used for back pain. I've seen plenty of injuries with deadlifts. Or you, see, I see lots of people who go to the gym and say, oh, yeah, we were having a deadlifting competition between the lads and they felt some go. And that's usually overexertion and it's just poor technique. Um, so your your form in a deadlift is really important, but like it's not crazy. If you go crazy and lift really heavy weights, unless you're really into your bodybuilding, you know what you're doing, you're going to hurt yourself. But weightlifting is is important. Uh, it's good exercise, but needs to be done right. Needs to be done right. Um, lots of people asking about the best way to sleep to prevent back and neck pain. As you say, it's different person to person, but just try and keep your spine straight. Yeah, so if your pillow straighter is too your spine, high or the better. Too low, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what's your opinion on chiropractors? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And so the, I think chiropractors, um, one of the things about chiropractors is, uh, and their interaction with, say, doctors or spine surgeons or is that there isn't any interaction. So we don't really okay. know much about it. Uh, I've spoken to chiropractors, some really good chiropractors, and, and it works, but it needs to be done correctly. And, and um, a very good chiropractor is actually a good clinician. They know what cases not to treat, what mm -hmm. cases to treat. And some of them get really good results. It is something that is somewhat unregulated that... Um, it's difficult to know, well, who's really well-trained, who's not. Mm -hmm. Whereas, uh, I suppose, in as a spine surgeon, you have a minimum level that you have to achieve. But, you know, I'd never say, oh, that's not appropriate. It's not because, uh, you know, the, a chiropractor could easily turn around to me and say, well, spine surgery is not successful, successful. in... Yeah. 15% of people that you operate on, so... Is that statistic true? Yeah, about that. So... Yeah. Um, uh, particularly for pain, so back pain, neck pain, arm pain, leg pain. So there's okay. a 50, 15% failure rate. Now, it's more dissatisfaction rate. So there's a difference between dissatisfaction and failure. And is it, of course, is but is it a case that like sometimes, this might sound awful, but sometimes I think people get kind of attached to their pain. Like it's such a part of their lives that like after mm. surgery, they might be like, well, it's still there. Yeah, I, I, sometimes that is, and particularly with sort of severe long-term pain, the, be, the the brain gets used to it and it gets imprinted in the brain. So when you take away the pain, it's it can be still there. there. Mm -hmm. um, and that is certainly common. But a lot of people who have spinal problems and get treated for, say, really severe say, sciatica, they have really bad pain down their legs or leg or legs, and you go in, you take out the disc and their leg pain is gone. They still have back pain because they have a lot of wear and tear in their, okay, in yeah. their back. And they say, well, I still have my back pain. I still can't play golf. I thought you were going to fix me. So it's really important to talk to people beforehand and say, well, listen, we're fixing one thing, but you're still going to have the other. It reminds me of my grandfather, like until the day he died, he had... He had several issues. He had issues with his lungs, prostate cancer, you know, didn't live the healthiest life. But every single doctor he saw, he was like, yeah, well, you fixed my cataract, but I still have this pain in my back. <laughs> they were like, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm an ophthalmologist, Sean. So Expectation <laughs> management is very important in what I do. Um, yeah, I guess it is. It is. No, it's one of the most important because uh, the things we 
we discuss at your average consultation is, particularly a surgical consultation, is yes, you discuss everything. I like my patients to know what what's wrong with them and mm-hmm. what they're having and what the alternatives are. But it's also to say, well, this is what you're going to expect. This is what can happen. This is what the outcome is, but it's not always what you want. And there are a few risks and, and you have to understand that. Um, and uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, managing expectations is important. My last question then from the followers, I don't know if you can answer this. What is the next step when radio frequency lesioning lesioning doesn't mm. work anymore. What is that first? Yeah, of all? so radio frequency lesioning is basically when they burn away the little nerves at the back of your spine to deaden the joints, usually the joints um, commonly at the base of the back, but also in the neck. Okay. And if there's an arthritic joint, painful joint, you can zap it and 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 kill off the nerves and that can numb it. When that fails, um it depends really on whether it's uh, it it really depends on wh- what what's wrong but in some instances a spinal fusion will be appropriate where you actually surgically stiffen that part of the spine with okay. screws and rods and and stop it from moving but that has to be really thought considered. carefully about and considered it's not always the right option and then my last question to you before i sort of open it up to anything you think we should know is there are there any symptoms that you think people should never ignore, that it's like, actually, that could be quite serious, um, that you see now and again that could be a bigger issue? Yeah, certainly um, progressive numbness or weakness of an arm, a hand, a leg is is something that you don't sit around Mm -hmm. hoping it's going to get better. You need to go to your doctor. Um, So, and loss of the ability to walk which might sound obvious, but as people get older, they'll, uh, they'll say, oh, well, I'm, I'm getting old, I'm, I'm, I'm staggering around. Well, usually there's something wrong, it's, uh, particularly if it's, if it's happen, happening quickly. quickly. Okay. And in many cases, that's a spinal problem. Um, I think if one of the big spinal emergencies would be if a disc herniates in the back and you lose control of your bladder or difficulty passing urine, numbness around the saddle area if you imagine sitting on on a saddle Mm -hmm. if that area were to go numb that's a pretty much a surgical emergency so you need a rapid mri and you need surgery ideally within eight hours and if that happens and there's no trauma behind it is that generally like there's a tumor there or something has happened no you can sneeze and herniate a disc or you know a lot of a lot of discs just herniate now it's not to scare everyone yeah but most discs herniations happen just out of the blue. So herniated disc is like... It's a slip disc or... A, now, it's not a slipping disc in and out. It's a protruding disc. It's so a disc that, that fluid in the disc yeah, has just bulged squirts out or one. bulges out into the spinal canal and presses on the nerve. So okay. they're, the, they're the types of things that you, you don't hang around with. Um, really severe pain. So somebody who has a really severe pain that's not getting better, uh, particularly pain at night, pain at rest, that would be concerning that there's something going on in your spine, either a fracture. Now, again, all of these things you have to put in the context. Well, how do you feel? What's your medical history? Mm -hmm. But very intrusive pain that is just not getting better and getting worse. So people are managing pain themselves at home with like psalpidine or neurofen plus for a sustained period of time. That's not normal. I I mean, certainly you should check with your your doctor. Now, most, uh, you can get severe back pain that 
really incapacitates you, as in you can't move. But that would be acute, wouldn't it? It's, it's usually not like acute. Every it single usually day, goes away fairly quickly, a couple of days, and it's starting to get better. Yeah. But in most cases, people who get that go to their doctor anyway. But it's that sort of insidious pain that's just there, particularly in the thoracic area around the between the shoulder blades. It's just there day and night. That needs to be looked at. Okay. And is there anything else that you think we should know that I haven't asked? Um, I think um, one of the things about spine surgery and spine in general is um, it's it's a very big specialty. There's a lot of expertise. There's a lot of options for people. Surgery is one of the options. It's, it's important that um, a lot of people who think they might need surgery consider all the options and maybe wait and see will symptoms abate. So it's kind of the last resort. Yeah, well, in many cases, but often it's the first resort. So, But it's also going to the correct person that will will pick the right thing for you. Um, and your GP is the first port of call and they'll generally point you in the right direction. And like in the matter of private network, like can people... So someone's listening to this and they need to have spine surgery. Can you pick who you want or do you sort of, you're an assessed and it's like, well, I think this guy has the best specialty for you? Yeah, you generally go to your GP and get a referral and you can say, oh, I want to go to this person and a referral will come in and that will go to that person. Now, I have two other spine surgeons working with me. We spread out Those the referrals because the there's just so many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still look at all the referrals. So uh, every day I will go through all the referrals that come in for the previous day and say, okay, this is for me, that's for you, and, and just triage it on a daily basis. So, But yeah, if somebody wants to see me and doesn't want to see anyone else, that's fine. That's fine. Ask your GP for a referral. Um Mr. Ashley Poynton, thank you so much for joining me in studio today. You have listened to another episode of Basically. Our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Kahalo Gaira. We're produced by Judy Hassett and we're part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. See you next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.